3: you're listening to the pastor scott show podcast have any questions or comments email pastor scott now at pastor scott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m and now here's pastor scott
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Good to be with you. I am Pastor Scott. You can call and join the conversation right now by calling 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Or you can send me an email at pastorscott at kkla.com, Scott at kkla.com. Here's a question. What would the church look like in the future, like, say, 2030? Does that seem like it's a far, you know, long way off? You know, let me tell you something. Time goes really fast. 2023 is just as far. This is going to bother some of you. It bothers me, but I'm going to share that. 2023 is just as far from 1980 as 1980 is from 1937. Well, think about that for a second. Joe Biden's, President Biden's birthday, the day he was born, is closer to the second Abraham Lincoln inaugural than to his own inaugural. That's how fast time really goes. And we need to think about that because when we're thinking about the church and we're thinking about making disciples, each generation has a completely different world to live in. With me to talk about this is my guest, Ed Stetzer. He is a pastor, author, and researcher known for his contributions to church leadership and discipleship, among other things. Ed Stetzer has served as the executive director of LifeWay Research. He is currently the editor-in-chief at Outreach Magazine, and he has just been named the dean of Talbot School of Theology right here in Southern California. Ed, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show.
2: Thank you so much. Great to be here. Great, great to be in Southern California where it's gloom in June. What a, <laughs> gloom what a, what in a, June. a beginning.
1: Right. But you know what? It, it'll warm up, Fourth of July. We've got fireworks. And depending on where you live, we have fireworks all up and down the street. All right. I'm ready. And, you know, it's fantastic. I'm ready. Fantastic for that. So, welcome to Southern California. Great. Thank you. We're really glad to have you. And, uh, Ed, tell us a little bit about yourself for people who
2: uh, aren't sure who Ed Stetzer is. Which would be like 95% of people listening. 99% of people listening. So, I grew up outside of New York City, um, became a follower of Jesus in uh, Orlando. My parents parents had moved to Orlando, met my high school sweetheart, dated her, married her, and uh, really was a church planter. Planted churches in the inner city of Buffalo, New York. Erie, Pennsylvania, became a professor, eventually a dean. Right now, technically, I am still the uh, the dean, uh, a dean and professor at Wheaton College in mm-hmm. Chicagoland, where I, I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. But um, I'm married to Donna, have three daughters, two of whom live out in here California. And uh, we're moving out here. Uh, if we could find a house, that would be really awesome. It's not so easy to find a house in California. It's not
1: moment. so easy to find a house. Yeah. I was uh, telling you earlier, just find one that looks like somebody's summer house and uh, sit in it. See if you can stay there six months and it's yours. That's right. uh, uh, Goals have been set before
2: me. I like that idea. Yeah, see if your wife goes
1: for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, Ed, one of the things that I think people will be interested in, by the way, you can call and join our conversation, eight 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 five two eight two five five. Seven is the number 888-528-2557. You know, we live in this time that's twenty twenty three. It's not even the same world as twenty twenty.
2: Yeah, right. We it, everything has changed. You made me feel real old though when you did that whole how far away these things are. You know, as a child of the eighties, I felt really old in that. Yeah, day. I do.
1: That's why I put that out that's there because what, I need I need the support because yes. I'm a child of the eighties. <laughs> also, you could feel that. And you go nineteen thirty seven. it was like, the war yeah, happened. You know, crazy. Yeah. yeah, many wars, many yeah. different things in history. And in fact, an interesting thing is I read something once that says that young people today, like Generation Z, mm-hmm. that to them Ronald Reagan is as old as FDR.
2: That's so fascinating.
1: You know, isn't yeah. that? And that's something I think yeah. that we need to think about. Yeah. Just when we think about different generations, is the the frame of reference that people have when they're just five or seven years younger or older might be completely different, and I think we're definitely seeing that right now. Yeah, we, so,
2: so for example, at Wheaton, um, you know, we, Billy Graham would be the most famous graduate of Wheaton College, and you would be just fascinated by how many of these uh, 17, 18-year-old freshmen don't have any idea who that is. Right. Uh, even, you know, come from Christian homes. And you know, now with me starting at Biola University, I mean, I, I, you meet all these just really sharp people, and they're digital natives. You know, they they mm-hmm. they grew up on their phones in ways we didn't. I mean, we both we, we at lunch we were talking about something and we had to we could look it up and Google it. But but you know, we didn't grow up with this. You know, right. I tell I tell my kids there was a time when a phone had a cord on the wall, and they're like stunned. But, but you know, I, I still think that in the moment that we're in right now with, with you, know, you know, just we see these students at Biola and they're so excited about the future and, and there's lots of great opportunity ahead of them. They're, I think they're probably uh, more committed and more serious about maybe the gospel than we were because the world was... You know, you didn't, the world, the world was easier to be a Christian when we were teenagers. Right. And so now people are coming in more committed. So yeah, I mean, but it is a different context for sure than what we've experienced. And and Don and I, we have three daughters, uh, 18, 21, 24, and they just grew up in a very different world than we grew up
1: in. It's completely different. Yeah. Me and my kids, 14 and 11, they're yeah. talking about stuff that I, I didn't think about.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah. You like, like stuff that we would, and I would say too, like even in student ministry, um, you know, I was a youth pastor for two very long years for the students in the ministry. Right. So, but I was a youth pastor in college. And, you know, and it, student ministry was almost like a four-year holding tank with pizza, and you just kind of say, "Let's keep the kids together," mm-hmm. and then they become adults and they'll grow and they are just stop. You can't do that anymore. You people, people have got. I mean, it, we're seeing this as even as we prepare people at, at Talbot School of Theology. We have to prepare people for uh, questions coming early and often. But but I think there's some there's some upside to that. But but again, people are just walking through a very different, tumultuous and turbulent world. And you mentioned even from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty three, how much the world has changed. It's just the the pace of change, the rapidity of change is unlike I would have imagined twenty thirty years ago.
1: And we have to accept that. I think we yeah. shouldn't deny that, or even or even say, oh, that's terrible, because it's the way it is. Jesus isn't confused about it. It's funny you say that about youth ministry, because one of the things I love to do with any ministry is I'll just sit down and say, ask me questions, yeah. just whatever, yeah. and in the youth ministry where my time was a pastor, at first it was not too many kids had a lot of questions. Right. They weren't too hard. But by the end of it, they all have their phones and they're asking me the hardest things oh, that yeah. they can Google. It's not even their question. <laughs> right, they're really right. just trying to stump me. Right. Total, totally different thing. But it's influential. Now you said something that I think you know, we hear so much negativity about the future of the church and Generation Z and and whatever's coming next. There's another generation, right? It's not mm-hmm. uh, God's way of telling us this is the last one. Yeah, no, one. It, he, it,
2: it seems rather terminal when it says it Z. Does, yeah, yeah there's, and see, people are still debating what that next generation is called.
1: Right. Um, but it's not really what people think. Tell us about that. You know, in your research and your understanding, you're just saying the kids are excited over at Biola University about the future and their faith. What yeah. does that mean to them?
2: So, so I think what you're finding is is that um, because there's a downward pressure on Christian faith and practice in the United States. So every year, one to two percent less Americans identify as Christian. So. You know when I, when I was growing up in the '80s, uh, when I was a teenager in the '80s, you know, you'd be at 80 plus percent identify as a Christian. You know, now we're at 60 something percent, and it's declining each and every year. So what happens is there was sort of a cultural value to being a Christian. So even if you weren't practicing as a Christian, you say I'm a Christian, All right. uh, And it had some some cachet with it. Uh, oh, now now that's not the case anymore. When you say today, if you're a if you're a, you know 17 year old and you're in your high school and you say, you know, I'm a Christian, there are five or six often aggressive follow-up questions that come right afterwards. And I think one of the things that we have to be prepared for is we have to help students answer those questions. If they feel completely unprepared to answer those questions, they'll be less likely to say, I'm a Christian. So as being a Christian becomes more distinct from being, you know, just an average American, you know, then it requires us to have greater clarity. And I think what that leads to we're seeing this in some of the data. Is that you know millennials, Gen Z, Gen Alpha maybe is what that's going to. We're still trying to figure out that. Gen they, Alpha. Yeah, that's they start, a, you they know, start they over. It, I know. I, exactly, you know, I guess exactly. that makes sense. I don't know. You know, we you know we're Gen Xers. You know, so right. you and I are Gen Xers. Which means so, we don't even care. Exactly. Nobody Actually, pays any attention to no. Gen X. It's baby boomers to millennials, and we're the bitter people in the middle who get ignored. Um, <laughs> and but, we like it though. <laughs> we do. We do. Yeah, we're happy. With we that. do. We're because we're slackers. You remember slackers? Is what that's we right. Were. Slacker Fly. Exactly. Very famous. Very famous things. So, but what I would say is that now. You're if you're in, you're you're just tend to be more in. So what we see at you know, is it's just students who are super excited about what God's doing and the forward advance of the gospel. And they're they're choosing to be more committed because being a Christian means something more in subsequent generations than maybe it did. You know, I, I grew up, like, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but we were um, we were nominally something. You know, mm-hmm. we, we had a church we didn't go to, right? So, yeah. Um, but but I, I think it's harder to do that in a world where Christian means something that's sometimes out of step with culture. <laughs>
1: I'm just, if we had a church we didn't go to. It's yeah. so funny because you, people will say, you know, do you go to church somewhere? And there's some church that you went to on Easter, yeah, totally. right? And you'll, you'll totally. label
2: that. You know, um in, you were, our, in our case, we were we were Irish Catholic. Okay. And that's a thing. Now it's yes. not much of a thing anymore, but like in Long Island, where I grew up outside of New York City, the unions were at the police were that and all this sort of stuff. But again, we never we never went to church. I mean mm. Christmas and Easter maybe. And so when I heard the gospel, you know, it was it was new news to me. But I think I think even those kinds of just nominal Christians uh, I wrote an article in Christianity Today a few years ago that nominalism is is dying. It's, still, it's not yeah. dead because there's still all kinds of people in our listening audience who have friends who use the word Christian to describe themselves, but they, they maybe don't know what that means. They haven't heard the good news of the gospel received by grace and through faith, uh, the, the, the new life that Christ offers. Uh, but that's less every year. So if you're thinking... If your ministry, for example, is trying to reach people who call themselves Christians but are not necessarily walking with that, there's 1% to 2% less of them every single year, and more secular people every single year. So that's why things like apologetics become more important, because people are starting a greater distance away from the gospel, understanding its basics. I had
1: a, a marriage counseling I was doing one time, and they were a young couple, married, and an interesting thing happened is that they were dealing with stuff that's not in the marriage counseling books because... Both of them got married, but they had still—they were still dating other people. And they were both frustrated with this. But what they were frustrated with was not that I'm dating other people. Yeah. It's that why do I feel that this is bad?
2: I, I just want to stop the show right now and know what your advice was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it included some part of stop dating other people. That is what no, I God, said. And good. you know what? It helped them. I appreciate your pastoral advice I, yeah, and wisdom. Said, <laughs> the I, wisdom that you showed in that thing. But I sat
1: there, and in my mind, yeah. I'm going... You are like three chapters ahead of chapter one. Like no one so, has ever right. written a chapter right. in a book about right. marriage that says, "When you get married, you stop seeing other people." Right. Like they didn't know that, right? Um, and, and actually, they did pretty well when that came together. It was a funny thing. It, like, it clicked in. Oh! Okay, but I this think, was this was in California, wasn't it? I'm gonna have to this get was used in to, California. I'm gonna have to
2: get used to stories like this in California. You do have to it's get used to. I realize that
1: uh, that doesn't happen elsewhere. Of no. course, it's also cold. There's nowhere to go. That's you know, I mean, fair it's, enough. It's cold here, right? But. Uh, um, you know, Ed, you wrote an article about the year 2030 yeah. for Outreach Mag- Magazine and what that's going to look like for the church. I think that's interesting because the reason I, I said those st- scary stories when we started out, by the way, this is Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Ed Stetzer. You can call if you've got a question, 888-528-2557, to join the conversation, 888-528-2557. I started out by talking about really how fast time flies. And if you're thinking 2030 is far off, it just isn't. And if you want to be proactive in your faith or in the ministry that you're a part of, or even just thinking about your kids, 2030 is coming. What does it look like for the church? What should we be thinking about?
2: Yeah, I, I think we have to recognize that you know time marches on is obviously a cliche. But the reality is, is that we're in a time that uh, change itself is accelerating. Change is changing, and it's accelerating. Now, in that article, I, I talked about uh, several specific things that you know, in different parts of the country are already living in the future in some ways. So, mm. For example, uh, the reality of immigration. Um, and so I talked about how, I mean, this has really led to uh, incredible diversification in churches. So yeah. So you can't, you know, I, I, I serve as teaching pastor at uh, Mariner's Church down in Orange County. Um, and, you know, we're a diverse church, right? And you go to different parts of Los Angeles and or Orange County. And which I've learned recently, there's a distinction between those two, and that's important. There
1: is, but I was saying that in, if you're listening in San Diego, you realize that everything north of Camp Pendleton is L.A. That's right. Yeah, Orange County right. doesn't like that, but it,
2: that's that's how we. Feel. Yeah, they, they feel they feel like they're a separate identity. Yeah. Um. So, but you know, so I, I think what we're what we see is is that churches all across this all Southern California they're experience that, and 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 maybe that's new for some people. You know, people maybe baby boomers like, well, I grew up in a church, and we're all just it was just kind of people like me. And now, I got people who are not like me, but we have a common faith in Jesus Christ that draws us together. And I, I love that. I think that's a vision of Revelation 7, men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation. I think if you don't like a multicultural church, you're really going to not like heaven because there's mm-hmm. a lot of multicultural... I mean, men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And, and so, so I think that part of that is just recognizing the shifting demographics of our country. So if you go to um, some places where... Uh, you know some universities. You know, the, the, you go to Christian ministry that's there, um, and you're an Anglo like you and me. I mean, you might be just a small minority, and the Christian uh, Christian committed college kids or at the state university are, are all of of one different background, ethnicity, or race. And you're like, well, this is you know, this is a different context in a different world. Well, here's the great thing, right? Jesus isn't done with his church. The gospel's still advancing. You know, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But that looks different, and it's going to con- continue to look different. You know, we're you know, were right at the place where the majority of people uh, in school age are actually non-Anglo in our country today, and, and I think we're seeing that reflected in churches and leadership and more. I, th- I think that's just the new normal. But here's the great thing. As followers of Jesus, uh, the world's not our home. This is not—we don't— Drive our identity from this world, but instead we're part of a kingdom, and that kingdom's representative of people from all different cultures and backgrounds, beautifully learning and listening to one another. And you saw that when you were pastoring in San Diego. We see that at different churches, and you know we see that at Christian universities as well. The when
1: you know, and I think that's really great because it does look like what the church is going to look like, yep. and you know things are not marching you know out of step with wherever Jesus is going to take us ultimately. And when we think about that, what does the church do to to think about that? Whatever the, the background is of people there, you know, so yeah. it might be different. May, are there traditions? Are there things that people need to really re examine and go uh, for people who are from different walks of life and even different generations? The conversations, the way the gospels presented, all of that is affected by these things.
2: It is, it is, and I, I think ultimately we're going to cons- cons- consistently go back to the scriptures. You know, we we believe the Bible to be authoritative. It's our it's our source, it's truth, it's our guide, and so it does. It means that sometimes the cultural trappings of what we brought in might have been something we inherited. It was a tradition. It was something you know, from our background, and we want to examine it in light of Scripture and, and see that it lines up with mm-hmm. Scripture. And when it doesn't line up with Scripture, to adjust and uh, uh, change accordingly. And I think that's a beautiful thing, because there are things that, that you know, might have been, you know, the, the pursuit of the American dream. I've got a, you know, I've got to, uh, a pastor friend, David Platt, writes, writes about this. And so the pursuit of the American dream, that my goal in life is going to be to get a, you know, get a picket fence, white picket fence house in, you know, in the suburbs with nobody around me who's who's, you know, different than me. Well, that's, that's not what the Lord's called us to if we're in Los Angeles. That's not what the Lord's called us to in, in, in Orange County. Uh, so for us to say, well, what is it? How can we use our lives to make much of uh, Jesus? I talk about showing and sharing the love of Jesus all the time. So if that's my goal, if my aspiration is to be more like Jesus and live on mission, you know, last night I was speaking at uh, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. You know, I, I think everyone's probably heard of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa again because of the Jesus Revolution right. movie. So I was speaking there last night, and they asked me to talk about, you know, seeing the world through the lenses of the gospel. And and, and I just love if people would see that way, their goals, their desires, the designs of their lives, I think would be radically different. And, and, and I think that's a beautiful thing. And we see it, you know, and maybe that's harder for people who are older and uh, but but I, I just see that that commitment, and I want to affirm and encourage that commitment in people who are older, but also in the younger generations, like, you know, if we're in, we're all in for Jesus, and I love that. I want more of that, not less of that. There's a st- study or
1: statistic that's quoted a lot that says uh, kids who leave the church once they turn 18, they go to college or they go into careers or military or whatever, that 75% uh, left the church. Yeah. Is that true?
2: Is that- well, okay, so there's, there's three or four stats that are around, and I actually, when I speak at pastor events— um, I say, how many of you have heard the stat that 86% of evangelical students drop out of church after high school, never to return? And it's usually 40 to 50% I've heard that stat. And so that's not a real stat. So uh, first of all, you can't measure that. How do you hmm. know never? Right? Because so, to say never, you basically got to – when kids drop out of church after high school, you'd have to insert some sort of tracking chip in them and then – put a scanner on every church door in the world so this makes sure they never return yeah i so, think that's what elon musk is working on, yeah, on <laughs> right he's gonna put that right in our head that's yeah. a whole nother conversation right but, but <laughs> so what i would say is we don't know for sure here's what we know we've done i used to run something called lifeway research and what we find is that when we studied 23 to 30 year olds 70 percent of them indicated they stopped attending church regularly for at least a year between 18 and 22. so that's kind of the The time between 17 to 22 people stop for a year, but doesn't mean dropped out permanently. Actually, 35 percent of them had already returned like by the time we were doing the study. So Mm -hmm. so so there's what we call churn. People are leaving. The leaving kind of starts at 17 and then they start returning, you know, early 20s, sometimes when they get married. But I think it's a reminder. We've talked at lunch. Uh, we, we, I, I get people we did, can tell we had lunch. We had lunch. We we had lunch. lunch and was a, and, you, and thank you for that. It was a Happy Meal. Uh, it wasn't, was like five bucks. Was, exactly. You know? Only the, happy Meals are not five bucks in California. I've noticed that. No, they're not. They yeah. have an adult one, too. It's See, like $17. Really? And there's no toy. I didn't. That, then what's the point? They're what's right. the point? Exactly. Uh, but we talked about lunch. You have a passion for discipleship. If you're going to address the dropout issue, it's going to be discipling students at a younger level. Stop thinking that you start discipling them when they get 18 and start saying we're going to encourage them to, to take spiritual growth steps at 12, 13, even earlier than that. That I think that encourages people because there's so
1: much, so many of the studies are a downer and all these people are, you know, not the nominals, you say, are, like you say, are going away. They're the nuns. I think that there's a positive side of that though because a lot of those people weren't Christians anyway, really. Yeah.
2: No, I, I think so. I think We know really where important. people, yeah, I think it's yeah.
1: actually good. Yeah. It's better to know where people really stand.
2: I would say, I'm not, I would, I would be cautious to say, and I'm going to explain why. Yeah. Because part of it is good. Right. But the part that's not good is when the culture kind of thought of itself as 85% Christian you wouldn't have this sort of aggressive pushback against Christianity because it was That's sort right. of, you know, the, the, uh, the nominal Christians sort of were still defended, the devout Christians. Well, now, as the culture is more secular in general, Christian belief and practice, particularly around controversial issues in culture, it's, you get pushback in a way that when there were more nominal Christians, you wouldn't. So That's right. It's a I, I think it's in general a dark cloud since we're seeing June gloom. It's a dark cloud, but the silver lining is, is that those who are Christians are more committed... Because they have to be. That's right. Because you're, you can't just be halfway in, because people are going to ask you those questions. You're going to be like, well, I don't really believe that. Then why do you call yourself a Christian if you don't believe those things anyway? Just embrace the weirdness of what it means to be a genuine, life transformed follower of Jesus. That's a great uh, slogan right there, too. Embrace the weirdness. Embrace the, I need bumper stickers. Say, well, yeah. I'm moving to California. moving to California. There you go. You know? It's a different kind of weirdness. But, it's yeah. a whole different it a whole kind whole It won't work kind.
1: if you're up in the Bay Area, though. A yeah. whole different thing. Yeah, well, well that's true. That but, means,
2: but you think about it, It's like yeah. if, if California is known for its strangeness, what a great opportunity for us. To stand out in the midst of the strangeness by being those who follow Jesus and are changed by his power.
1: That's right. That is exactly what we are supposed to do. Um, This is the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Ed Stetzer. If you want to join the conversation or if you've got a question, the number is 888-528-2557. We're going to take a break, and uh, you can call during the break: 888-528-2557. And another thing that you pointed out that we need to understand about the church is that it's also going to be older. Yeah. that That's a very interesting thing that's never actually happened before, because mm-hmm. people are living much longer than they did before, and that means something that impacts uh, our need and our ability to disciple. So we'll talk about two, yep. that, too, when we come back. This is the Pastor Scott Show. I guess is Ed Stetzer. He is the brand new uh, dean of uh, Talbert, Talbot Theological Talbot School of Theology School of which Theology. includes our seminary but it's also undergrad okay. as well okay all right very good so we'll be back with Ed Stetzer as the Pastor Scott Show continues stay tuned
3: you're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast have any questions or comments email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. now back to the show
1: Welcome back, everybody. My guest is Ed Stetzer. He is the new dean of Talbot School of Theology, or Talbot Seminary. Yeah. Also the... Oh, uh, yeah. Where,
2: where perhaps some parents of yours might have gone to? My
1: parents went to Biola. Yep. And uh, both of them, they met at Biola. Nice. And uh, they got married the day after graduation because my dad's dad's rule was you're not allowed to get married until you are, I'll pay for college if you don't get married. Oh, wow. And they got married the day after graduation. Wow. I think it's kind of a great story. It is a great story. 60, uh, 61 years, That's I think, so cool. this year. Yeah, 61. And your dad's a pastor. You're a and he's still a kid. pastor. I love that. Been a pastor for a long time. a pastor's kid. And, uh, and then he went to Talbot. He taught at Talbot. Nice. He was, uh, so some people, in fact, um, we had a guest on who turned out was one of his students. That's so cool. Isn't that crazy? Love he had that. no idea. So it's kind of a fun thing, and it's a great thing to have you here, Ed. We've been talking about the church in 2030 and where it's going. And, you know, one of the other things about the church that is going to be different, and maybe people haven't thought about this, and we need to be thinking about the younger generation, but who's going to teach them? People are going to be older in the church than ever before yeah. in our country. That uh, That's different. We used to have a group in my church called 55 plus, right? right? That was a group. And they were frustrated that it was really 75 plus and there was nobody there. And they said, Scott, how do we get people uh, 55 to come? And I said, you can't because you're at 10 in the morning and you're playing dominoes and they are at work. (laughs) And if they're 65, they're probably still at work also. That's true.
2: It's just a good point.
1: Right. And so it's a whole different world. Now people are going to be 85 and still at work. Yeah, I hate to mention that. I mean, obviously, you can run for office and be president or senator here in our I think, in, I think uh, our the our state. only
2: people that run for office nowadays are in Yeah, the ages. only people and are. Appears you know? Yeah. So
1: what are you, you going to do in your later life? You can run for office or you can learn to make disciples. You can oh, be I like a that. minister I like that. later. Tell us about the, that age. How that, how's that happening? Baby boomers yeah. are going to be around.
2: Yeah, so uh, so my dad, our, I think both our dads are baby boomers. So we're we've kind of got this generation, and they're living a lot longer. And, and again I think when we normally talk, you know, there was kind of this transition in the 80s and the 90s and 2000s and a lot of it even here in Southern California where you had a lot of churches that were engaging what at the time were younger adults, you know, these churches mm. were planted to reach or or transition to reach baby boomers and they did. Yeah. And and thank God for that. You know, a lot of great life Absolutely. change took place. I think what we see now is just how large that group is. I mean, it was a boom. It was a baby boom. So um so it's from from 2010 to 2020. The population of people over 55 grew 20 times faster than the population growth of those under 55. So
1: That's amazing. It's amazing. Because we're really in the opposite of a baby boom. We we're, really are. We're not having it. Well, you know, we,
2: you, I think – did, did we mention Elon Musk on the program? Or was that at lunch? I don't remember. Uh, yeah, we, I, I, you, you something said about something. him sticking something in yeah, your head. Exactly. To track you chip, your whole life. Yeah, exactly. So he talks about you know the the, the the challenge of low birth rates. Right. So uh, we're we're dealing with the fact that um, that in many you know I, I'm going to be I, I lived in in England for uh, the fall they call it the autumn and taught there and um, you know they're dealing with the reality that they don't have younger people in many of these contexts the mm-hmm. gen- and all across Europe, people are aging and they're not what do we call generational replacement cohorts. They're not seeing those things. So what I would say is I think there's kind of almost like a, a reflex that church people say, we got to reach the young people. Let me say, I actually think that's probably a good thing. I want sure. us to think that way, but we also got to engage and deploy I think older adults. And I think that deploy is really key. You said it a minute ago. You were joking about run of or big disciples. But I think about those people um, you know, who are maybe you know, 68, 69. Maybe they're still working, but maybe they're retiring. And what an opportunity to step in. I mean, lots of our listeners could go. I mean, just shock your pastor and go to your local church and say, listen, I've worked. I've got, I got a retirement income. I would like to spend the next 10 years helping work with the next generation. How can I be almost um you know not everyone can do this, but for those who can, how can I be volunteer staff? How mm-hmm. can I how can I step into that role? Cuz I remember, you know, as a pastor, people who were that way and they brought wisdom and more. So what I would say is I think the churches do need to ask the question about aging congregations, even in vibrant congregations, they're getting older. In the in the past, when you and I were pastoring maybe, you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, you know, there weren't as many vibrant older congregations. It was vibrant younger congregations. But now you have to recognize that the age curve has shifted and it has significant impact. So when I wrote that article, I kind of was debating, you know, I was talking about, I I, I talked three trends. I mean, I could do 12 trends. I love writing about trends. It's what I do. It's what I like to teach. Um, But man, I just don't think you can miss the demographic shift. Now, the trend one, which was immigration and greater diversity and trend two are related to one another Mm -hmm. because what's happening is is that in churches that are engaging younger generations, they often tend to be more diverse and draw a more diverse population than the older congregation that's there as well. But I think both can beautifully work together. I think part of the challenge is sometimes churches and church leaders often see senior adults as impediments. I want them to see them as partners, because I think there's great gospel work still to be done.
1: You know, I think that that is something that we we need to get more I think that's great as impediments. It's like that's a terrible thing, yeah. right? If that's a thing, and I used to have some people say, "It feels like as the older people, we're only here to pay the bills, yep. right?" For the yep. younger people, yep. you hear that an awful lot, and we're changing all the stuff the older people wants to do, right? We're yep. changing the music, we're changing the style, we're painting the wall behind the pulpit black. You know, oh my gosh,
2: <laughs> you know, and uh, <laughs> I don't want to paint the wall behind the pulpit black, but I get that churches do that. You know, the darkened lights. Yeah, and it's yeah, all yeah. about the, that
1: yeah. that. But, you know, I think that one of the things we need to realize is that this age group, uh, they're not dead. They, they're they not the church of the past or the church now, just like yeah. the kids are the, not the church of the past or right. the church now. And we're called to make disciples. And the great right. disciple makers are retiring with a lot of life. A lot. A lot. A lot wisdom, of life and, and wisdom.
2: And, you know, and I would say, too, that particularly as the world has changed so much – uh, one of the things we see, going back to the earlier question about dropouts, the next generation dropouts, is that, um, and I, I'm trying to do it off the top of my head, but there were like five or six statistically significant factors, and I, I can't quote them all off the top of my head from the study, but one of them that really stood out to me was that the person who stayed in church had at least one significant cross-generational relationship other than their parents in the church that kept people connected to church. So it could be, you know, a, a youth leader, but probably not like I mentioned I was a youth pastor for 2 years, but I was I was like 18 years old and the kids were 16 right. years old. <laughs> right, but but somebody who's speaking into that person's life is a key part of them staying connected to a local church. So so if you're concerned, if you're listening in our audience and you know your church is like, well, we want to make sure we see those 17-year-olds because it seems like 17-18 are key transition times, then engage that. Because what a joy it is to be able to have those cross-generational conversations about the beauty of the gospel, about how we join Jesus in mission. The opportunity is great.
1: And have confidence about it. I think, you know, one thing you discover as you get older is you don't lose some of your insecurities that you've always had. True. Right? It's still there. And what I hear from a lot of people is, well, they don't really want to talk to me. But I think that they do. And I think what you have is that you were 17 once. Yeah, and you were 19 yeah. months, you know, once, and you did a lot of the same dumb things that they're doing or they were about to do, yep. and you know, maybe it was different. You have so much to add.
2: Yeah, and I think we talk about even earlier we were talking about how different the world is, but at the same time, the world's different in some of the ways people are addressing some of these issues, where people are trying to find themselves, but, uh, but, but still, they might be trying to find, trying to find themselves with new means and technology and ideas. But they're still confused, just like you were confused when you were fifteen right. years of age. And and thank God for uh, people in my life, you know. So I was, I grew up, you know, broken home, you know, all the struggles. How and did you come to there. faith? Dan? Yeah, so so my, uh, we we kind of started over. We we grew up and my my dad was uh, an alcoholic, and he he uses uh, he's been sober for years and through AA, in which he gives me permission to share that. That's an important thing to say when you talk about AA. Mm so but the whole family situation was just the dynamic was a mess and so we had to start over move down to florida and um and my mother first heard the gospel and well sister first and then my mother and my mother um came to christ in the charismatic movement and she really wanted her son to meet jesus and so i got in trouble one day as i often did imagine this new york city kid moving into central florida you know, where the language, like even the language, like the other kids weren't allowed to play with me because they said I used, I was cussing all the time, cussing, uh-huh. which is not even a word I knew existed, and I wasn't cussing; I was just using bowling words. Those are my words. My dad would use, you know, when he came back from <laughs> bowling. So anyway, so so I got in trouble. My mother grounded, punished me by sending me to student ministry camp, and there at the diocese of Central Florida, uh, I know that because I'm just the new. They're about to install the new bishop at the diocese of Central Florida. It's an evangelical. Episcopal diocese and I'm going to be at his installation, but, uh, at the camp, uh, I'm in, in back with all the troublemaking kids sitting in the back row. And I remember oh, I was just, it was a tough time in life. And the speaker got up and said, uh, if you want to take, give your life to Jesus and he gives your life to him, you can trade, you know, it's like a trade what I would call now theologically great exchange. And all I know is I gave, I, I didn't, I didn't really do anything other than say, Jesus, it's not working. I need you in my life. And he changed me and transformed. And so most of my family is not Christian hmm. uh, still today, but that was just this transformational moment to see God at work. And and, he, and it was really interesting because, you know, I was, I was the kid in high school. Like I started the high school Bible study that we had. That's where I met my, my girlfriend, who became my wife. She came to the high school Bible study that I started. So I would just – once I was in, I was all in because – I just knew what the alternative was, and I just wanted more of Jesus. And still, I just haven't gotten over the fact that Jesus saved me, and I want that gospel message to go out. And you know, what we know in Christian radio, I've done research on Christian radio audiences, is a lot of people, even listening, are unsure what that means. That's right. And and we want them to know that the good news of the gospel can change them and save them if they receive, by grace and through faith, Jesus as Lord and Savior.
1: That's a great story, and it's just the the power of the gospel and the simple message. We cloud it up sometimes with so many other things. And that keeps some of the younger people and even the older people away. You know, these days we get so divided by things that don't really matter. Yeah. uh, That don't really matter that much. Um, Ed, when we come back, can
2: you say another segment? Yeah, yeah, happy to do it. All right. Um, I, I came all the way to this amazing radio studio, so I am here as long as you want me. And it's great to meet Pastor Scott and the Pastor Scott Show. <laughs> well, it's great to have you. And you, know, you shouldn't tempt me that way. You know, we got all kinds of stuff. We can
1: just, you know, talk about our movie collections That's, or whatever. No, but at some I point. bet we
2: have similar movies. I think we're, we're in a close in age. I think we probably yeah, do. Yeah,
1: yeah. But that says something, right? Because. Uh, Getting back to even our subject, our younger people or older people have different movies, really the younger people, right? Sure. It's a whole different well, – you know, Twilight, part, part what in the world is that?
2: Because in our age, we were shaped by common – like there were three TV channels when you and I grew up and then one UHF that took you forever to find. <laughs> and that shaped you. So people our age can all sing the Brady Bunch song, mm-hmm. all know about Gil- Gilligan's Island. But now you've got 52 different channels that are on TV every single day that draw you in different places.
1: By the way, the yeah. Brady Bunch house is for sale and it's not too far away since you're looking for a house. I am looking for a house. And uh, HGTV bought think- it and they, you know, the outside of it was just a house. Right, right. But it wasn't the set, right, totally sure. different inside. HGTV bought that house. And converted the inside, so now it looks
2: like the Brady Bunch house. I am
1: so in for this house. It even has but the— But you
2: know that all your 25-year-old listeners are like, what is he talking about right now? So Because they don't even know right. what the Brady Bunch is. Maybe from Nick at Night or something. Maybe
1: you've heard of it. Uh, they, they did those movies a few years ago they that did. were kind of corny. Uh, Interesting. the Marsha, Marshall,
2: Marshall. Yeah,
1: even the Avocado Green uh, appliances are in there, by the way. And it's only $5.5 million. Okay,
2: I'm out. I'm out (laughs) (laughs) then.
1: Yeah. All right, this is Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Ed Stetzer. We'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. The number, if you want to call and ask a question, is 888-528-2557. I better say it slowly, 888-528-2557. There you go. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned Welcome back, everybody. Scott Furrow with you, PSF, as people have called. Is that me what before. it is? That's yeah. what the cool kids say. Pastor Scott Furrow. Yeah. Oh, so nice. PSF. PSF. That's what I became. known. it sounds like
2: sh- it sounds like a hipster name. So, I kind of like okay, it. I you do. know, I it's just a very simple I think it's thing. Catch on. You
1: know, like JFK. Yeah. You know. Yeah. W- very, very, very similar. Very similar. <laughs> Obviously, very similar. You know. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, speaking of that. Uh, which really has nothing to do with JFK. I'm, not yeah, sure I'm, to, trying, I'm trying to so get a segue. Yeah, from speaking <laughs> of that, I try to turn things around pretty good. And now I'm going. Is there a discipleship thing? You yeah. know There's there's the leadership thing. You go to the moon and you set a goal and you get there wow. right? uh, by the end of the quite decade. A
2: tenuous connection, but I like it.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm we've good. been talking about 2030. We what have. Is, what does discipleship? I wish
2: we're going to go back to Mars or something. We're going to go back to Mars. You have been to Mars. Definitely. You know? We're going to go to Mars. Yeah. We're going to so go to yeah, right. yeah. 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 We've not been there. I've seen
1: too many movies. <laughs> Me too, be too. There was that one where where Jason Bourne was stuck on. On that planet i forget how that works yeah out. that's important
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know your brain works in very fascinating which is why you make a good radio your brain I, Yeah, brain I, I, right
1: now there's people going what did he mean oh yeah yeah that's right it takes a minute Do you to know get that, there. that uh what's his name matthew what's the actor's name i'm blanking on it. jason bourne bad actor uh what is this what
2: name? is his it's name JJ remember his and name? he didn't even last as jason bourne what was no. his name um why am i blanking uh, on that what is his name Oh, well, we'll we'll figure it out. Uh, yeah, the supremacy Bo- was yeah, in. born supremacy. Yeah, born supremacy. Not that I've seen Bourne. those movies. Just yeah, the yeah I guess we call can. It somebody. Somebody, Matt, Damon. Call me. Matt, Matt Damon, Damon. Matt Damon.
1: Okay. Thank you. So in that movie, when he's in the Martian, yeah. the same year he was in—I uh, don't want to spoil it for you—but Interstellar. Yeah. He's in that movie. Yeah. And somebody did this calculation of how much money NASA spent that year rescuing Matt Damon from different planets. <laughs> <So> I thought <laughs> that was fantastic. Awesome. That's awesome. Speaking, you, did, you did just
0: spoil. I movie. did. I you just did. spoiled it. But I, there's
2: a, there is a time limit. There's a statute of limitations. Like we, like Darth Vader's Luke's dad. I mean, yeah, if you didn't I, see the movie by now, if you didn't agree. know that he gets rescued. You know, in the ship you sinks know. in Titanic. It, it, exactly. You know. Did you exactly. know that? It is.
1: You know, what I, I used to just like to just stand around the blockbuster, you know, and, and say things like, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Spacey is Kaiser Soze. <laughs> Wow, you're building relationships. Uh, yeah, with people. I know. <laughs> so much for Pastor yeah, Scott. no reason to check that movie out now. Uh, <laughs> somebody hasn't even thought of it. They're going to watch this movie and they're going to go, "Wait, is that what he meant?" Exactly. Um, you know. So here's here's the link. 2030 yes. is coming up at the end of the decade. What does discipleship look like in the church? We've talked about the changes that are happening because of immigration and demographics, the uh, difference of worldview that's coming up with Generation Z and Alpha or whatever's next. But also the increase in the number of older folks, the boomers, as they age.
2: It's going to be a different
1: church. What does
2: discipleship yeah, look like? For sure. And I think, too, one of the things we learned in the last few years, you know, just in the tumult and turbulence of the cultural moment, is a lot of churches looked around and said, our discipleship's not holding. Hmm. And you've had a, hmm. I love your passion for discipleship, because what we find is, I mean, a whole lot of people are being discipled by their cable news choices. They're mm-hmm. being spiritually shaped by their social media. And what we want is we want them to be discipled by the Word of God and community with God's people and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I think that doesn't change. But the forces that want to disciple you do change. Mm. And it feels different. You know, it feels different. What was trying to disciple us in the 80s or 90s is different than what's trying to disciple people today. So you have things that you want to disciple in and things you want to disciple out. You want to disciple out those things that are contrary to the Word of God that cause people to to live in ways that don't bring... The advance the mission of Christ, right, and and then things you want to disciple in. I think that the things that disciple in do stay pretty similar. It's I need to know the word of God. I need to I need to be a person of prayer. I need to I would add. I'm always you know as a spiritual practice, I try to share the gospel verbally with somebody once a week. I pray for God to give me the opportunity. And It's remarkable how often if you're looking for it, you'll have that opportunity to share the gospel. So what I would say is those things tend to stay similar. We, we, I wrote this book, Christians in the Age of Outrage, a few years ago and, and uh, came out in 2018. I thought people would, wouldn't be outraged a few years later, but the outrage just has kind of been, you know, right. we're still living in the age of outrage. And what it was interesting because sometimes people would read it, a lot, some people liked it, some people didn't. One of the things people would say is get to one chapter and it's like, so what's the solution? We need to know the word of God better and grow in our faith better. And some people were like, I kind of thought that was anticlimactic. Like, well, no, I mean, I, I don't know that the solutions change since the 60s or since the 1800s or since, you know, the 1500s. So coming back to that, it's just in a more complex time. So what we got to sometimes disciple out is maybe different, but that disciple in, I'm guessing that almost everyone listening who goes to a church is like teaching the Bible and calling people to spiritual growth would say, I know what it takes. It's the challenges is often they don't. We're too busy. We got too much going on. I just want to say to you, it's worth it to be a person who grows in faith and is rooted in God's Word, and and, and I think that makes all the difference.
1: And it's worth it to make disciples, yeah, and and it doesn't need to be scary. That's right. You know, we like to say in this program, you have uh, an oikos, which is not just a yogurt. It's <laughs> the 8 to 15 people that God has purposely placed in I your relational world you. I love that you actually it.
2: use oikos, like, like, like you really go deep enough here to talk about Greek words, because your dad taught Greek. You told My me dad, me that. Taught, your dad Greek taught Greek. Greek and. Um, it, but I think that that really does I mean yeah. we have, and this is for me like right now we 're praying about where to find a home, and part of what we want to do is we want to be on mission where god 's going to place us we 're still right. trying to figure that out, but you know i, 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 I when I lived a uh, prior location, we actually made a map of the eight people who didn 't know the Lord, the eight families who weren 't Christian within like two or three houses of us, and that's our oikos. We wanted to mm. pray for them. I made a list. I, I prayed for them. When I prayed for them, we sought to share the gospel with them. And over the three or four years from when we made the list and when we moved, you know, I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with seven of eight of them, uh, not just inviting them to church, I invited them all to church, but to share the gospel. I had the privilege of seeing uh, one couple, three doors down, trust Christ, be baptized, behind us, trust Christ. You know, so what I would say is, Um, when you see where God has placed you. Now, you know where God's placed. I don't know where God's going to place us yet. We're looking. Like this weekend, we're looking for a place to live. But when you are in this place, make this your place to show and share the love of Jesus. It makes all the difference. So you're making disciples of people who don't know the Lord but then you're people who know the Lord, you're growing them in the discipleship as well.
1: And I think you have to trust God that he's placed you there on purpose and he trusts you with the people that he's putting there, right? It's, you are to be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have. Oh, I love that. You are, you, you know, it's, and Jesus uses people who don't know anything. You know, uh, somebody just got healed and he wants to go with Jesus and Jesus says, no, you can't come with me. Instead, go to your oikos and tell them what the Lord has done for you. That guy didn't go to Christianity 101, 102, no, that's 103. Right. That's right. And he was effective, incredibly effective. And you can, too. You know, uh, when, you, when you find a place, something out here in California is we don't talk to our neighbors very well. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because we have walls up next right. to our house, you know, and, and we have garage doors, maybe not where you're going to live. Yep. Right, because you show me the picture when yeah. you're like, oh, it's just a carport. <laughs> but that might help you in your ministry, because I, I read another study that said that the reason Americans don't know their neighbors is the automatic garage door opener. Oh, no, for sure. Because you never have to get out of your car. You yeah. just click the thing People and have, try to get in um, before, Is know. it,
2: uh, David Putman's book Bowling Alone talked about how we used to have front porches, now we have back decks. That's right. And I have seen, That's like, right. looking at houses, they're like, everything's your backyard. But in Chicago, where it's cold... All the time. Yeah. Like, it, it got down to minus 27 degrees, not wind chill, actual temperature. So we don't see each other for eight months a year. So when you do, you actually see each other in the summertime and spring. But but I would say too. I mean, this is an opportunity to be countercultural. We need to work against the culture's desire to isolate ourselves from one another, so we can live on mission in our communities. I, I love that we can do that. That's right. And I'm laughing about bowling alone. What a great title! Yeah, not great know, for that great. for that book. Well, and, and the background, of course, is that that it, when uh, we, our parents, not not our generation, but our parents, they actually bowled in leagues, and so right. this was one of the things I did. You, when I was in like in the group.
1: fifth grade. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, did
2: you really? Okay, yeah. interesting. So, and Robert Putnam, who's a, uh, I think he's a political scientist, is the way describes himself. Um, so he writes this book and he talks about how um, now everyone bowls alone. It's a solitary existence. Mm. And, and what I would say is Christians should be countercultural. We believe that. There's, yeah. And I think we would say that people say, like, if your church pastor got up Sunday and said, we got to push against the culture. Well, here's one way to push against the culture. Know, love, and serve your neighbors. That's a way to put because they, otherwise, They won't even meet each other. That's right. Because they're going into the garage doors and shutting
1: them behind them. That's right. And that's discipleship. That's happening. Remember, the the church is where you are, not the building on the corner. You are the church.
2: Uh, See, this is when Pastor Scott comes out, when he starts preaching these things. Absolutely,
1: right? Uh, You know, they say that uh, 25% of Americans go to church. It's really more like 100, because they're around Christians. Mm -hmm. I'll listen to you. Listen to you. Stole that, though, from a mentor. Did you? Hey, we only have a couple minutes left. I want you to talk about real quick about uh, Biola and Talbot. How can we pray for you as you start this new position and the school and the next generation? Well, we've
2: had some great news like we just saw it kind of just released that the, uh, the, the folks from In-N-Out which uh, yeah. I've, I've learned is like a staple it's like you have to have In-N-Out when you live in California you do uh, they uh, gave the largest gift ever to Biola University oh that's to great create the, I think it's part of this uh, cinema media arts thing mm-hmm. so pray for us for that we have so many sharp young students who are coming at our undergraduate programs preparing them to engage the different contexts in the world and to live on mission you know at Talbot School of theology, the undergrad, you know all of our students go through and they get a Bible minor, so they 're going, my daughter 's a student at Biola too, so I sent my daughter to Biola for that, yeah, uh, and then for the seminary, you know we uh, you you mentioned that you know your parents, but I, I know you often would bring people when you 're pastor from talbot we 're trying to trying to well equip people for the world we live in today, which is a different world, but the same inert Word of God, the same shaping that comes from discipleship and spiritual formation that 's always been key to Talbot uh those things to to pray for us as we Equip those undergrads and also train those pastors, church leaders, missionaries, and more.
1: All right, I'll do that. I'm going to pray right now. How oh, about thank that? You, brother. I love go? that. God, thank you for uh, our time. Thank you for bringing Ed out here. We know you have a plan. We know you have a house for him and uh, for his wife, and we thank you for his kids. We pray for that they would grow in their faith. We pray that you would uh, really root Ed here with friendship and with spiritual um, uh, growth on, for himself as he gives that to others, and that you would give him this great ministry wherever he lives with people who need to know Jesus, who will soon know Jesus Uh, who just live in the same street or the same area. We pray for Biola and Talbot, that you would strengthen them and everybody who is there for this season of ministry that's going to be different than has ever been seen in our country, but not something that we should be afraid of at all, something that we know you are equipping people for. Uh, We pray that they would be strong in the Lord, strong in their witness and their ability to disciple for the hope of Jesus Christ in this culture. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Ed Stetzer, thank you for being thank with you, me my today. On the my, new show. my new friend. My new friend. That's right. And I'll give you the Scott Furrow tour of LA. And I oh, mentioned I like that I have the Scott Furrow Cemetery tour of you LA. Coming he literally soon. did.
2: He told me about this.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. That's not for everyone. But uh, you know, I'm dying to go on that tour.: <laughs> yeah, of hum, course hum, you hum. are, yeah, all right, Ed Stetzer. Hey, this is the Pastor Scott show, get the podcast by going to KKLA and get the podcast there, or wherever you get your podcast, your favorite podcast app, just look for the Pastor Scott show. I am Pastor Scott Furrow. I will see you again tomorrow from three to five. Have a good night, God bless.